Please. Hear my plans for the Jedi, then decide. Right now, at my facility in the Kadavo system, Obi-Wan Kenobi is in despair. I'm listening. Kenobi is coming to realize, perhaps for the first time in his life, that his efforts to help others will only injure them. As plans for escape and hopes of rescue fade, the gnawing fear that he will never be able to take action will grow in Kenobi's heart. To ease the burden of his fellow slaves, defiance will become compliance. When Kenobi realizes he cannot help those around him, his spirit will break and he will be mine. If such Jedi as Skywalker and Kenobi can fall, how many others will follow? Hmm? <laughs> imagine, imagine an army of Jedi in your service. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I teach philosophy at UNC in Greeley, Colorado. In, in Denver is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice. I almost missed my cue. <laughs> uh, said the same thing for a year. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's my line? Line. <gasps> <gasps> yeah. <laughs> my name is uh, Yeah, that was rough. How's it going? Other than that, it's go it was going great up until I blanked on the one thing I had to remember to say. We're we're a little shook up because we just had a tornado just go by our house and uh yeah. you know, it's stuff and things. Yeah. It, it that would make I mean, that's a fitting way to end the last year and a half with <laughs> right. I guess maybe a natural disaster. To we are on season 4, episode 13. This is Escape from Cadavo. We're going to finish up an arc today. Yes, we are. As the title implies, this story is set on Kadavo, which is a barren planet in wild space, which we've talked about, where enslaved people were abused and conditioned for trade, and it sounds a lot like the local Amazon warehouse. Ooh. <laughs> so the, was that too far? I drove past a Whole Foods today and found myself thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> we are already recording things we're going to cut. Mm-hmm. But in good news, the title also implies that this is a story of Exodus. Uh, some of the great tales of history and film are about whole people groups finding their path out of bondage. Uh, you got a you got a favorite movie about freedom for whole people? Yeah, I've been trying to think about this. Um, I've been trying to think about this without thinking of obvious obvious movie choices. The first thing that came to mind for me was the series Star Trek Voyager. Ooh, that's the whole that's Captain Janeway's entire mission to to both rescue from attack at, at that the one crew of people and bridge them with hers and then bring them home. Yeah. And and, you know, they end up getting seven. I think it's seven decades off from that or something. And that, that's the whole point of the show is trying to trying to return from uh, sort of an exile type situation. I believe I'm just starting to rewatch it and I don't. I didn't love it the first time I watched it, but that's kind of what's been on my mind recently. I need to look into that. I know nothing about Star Trek Voyager. Kate Kate Mulgrew as Janeway is, is a killer performance. She she brings it. She seems like she would be a great captain 
kind of character. Oh yeah, has has the right voice and the right presence, yeah. and and then there's some great characters around her too. There's a great doctor character, you know, a, a, a ship's cook, all the, all the all the stuff you want in Star Trek. Yeah, Jerry Ryan as a as a um, rescued from the Borg person named Seven of Nine. Yeah, I've heard about that. I mean, thinking through that in comparison with Kirk, who's a fairly self-obsessed adventurous sort and uh pines version of that uh which is which is is likewise just a we're going on an adventure and, oh yeah and then you got picard who's very by the book you, it's it's good actually to see all right we're gonna throw in a captain who actually looks like they're a dominating kind of personality and it's janeway yeah I mean, she seems like a challenging, yeah, I'm in charge sort of person, yeah? Captain, one of the aliens has just entered the bridge. Understood. We're less than a million kilometers from the pulsars. We must change course immediately to avoid being caught in their gravity. No, keep going. This is a far more reckless course of action than I've come to expect from you, Captain. It certainly is. There's some episodes where the writing feels a little inconsistent, like she'll either be way sympathetic with what's happening or sure. she'll be really like i'm the captain and you listen to me and it's like and and that's not kate mulgrew's fault it's it's the sure. it's right it's writing but it's worth checking out interesting that so yeah that's kind of the first one i could think of i also thought of thor ragnarok that's kind of you know well, the, the guardians sort of returning maybe not necessarily freedom but the sort of returning home having a place to call home after that being ripped away from you yeah love that it's an idea it's it I suppose it and we'll see this in in this episode it may be easier to talk about those sorts of historical occurrences with fantasy oh yeah um, yeah the the historical uh, ragnarok because <laughs> my the the two that really hit me as i was thinking about this are i love uh gandhi ben Ken- kingsley's yeah gandhi um and I love Schindler's List. I've only watched Schindler's List twice, which I think is double the amount of times that most people have seen this movie. I actually that rewatched it. <laughs> Once. The second time I saw it, knowing how it played out was was more meaningful to me, actually. And so as a challenge, if you ever, you know, <laughs> get yourself in the mood for two months from now to say I'm going to rewatch this movie. You know, it's been a while since I remember feeling uh, sort of uh, inconsolable sadness. I know what I'll do. <laughs> what I had done is I had watched the ending of Schindler's List about 30 or 40 times on YouTube. Mm. The hopeful upswing, the beautiful upswing, the presentation of the ring. It's Hebrew from the Talmud. It says whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Yeah. It's it just powerful. And so I was like, yeah, I should probably watch this movie. A fun fact about uh, Spielberg with that, he would go shoot Schindler's List and come home. And do you know how he kind of detoxed? That's a, I don't know if that's the right way to put that, but he had to get out of that zone just right, for his own. Decompress. Yeah. Do you know what he did when he, he came home? He edited another movie called Jurassic Park. That'll do it. That was how he took his mind off of the the brutal, you know, yeah, work he had to do. 
perfect. The other two that kind of struck me, and I, I, I haven't been as big of a fan or rewatched Braveheart that much recently. That real that one hasn't really stood up as much, and I'm not really a Hunger Games fan, but those struck no. me as 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 at least you know in pop culture they've kind of found their mark. I like if you want to go a little more esoteric with it. I've I think on episodes that. Per, uh, will have been released by the time this one comes out. I think I've talked about the movie Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. But I feel like there's some, for the for the character of Jojo and some of the other kids in it, there's some freedom in that, both for the, um, well, by this point, if people haven't seen it, they haven't seen it, but both for the the little Jewish girl mm-hmm. that's that's hiding in the house, her her sort of freedom, because the, the end of the movie correlates to the end of World War II, so her finding freedom and being able to leave the house and being able to stand in the streets and not be persecuted for it. But also, I'd say the character of Jojo and some of his friends who kind of get, because they're young, swept up in the the cult of, of Nazism and... and, and racism and bigotry yeah um the sort of the freedom from that the sort of freedom from the enslavement of of hatred at the end of that movie i think is also really kind of wonderful so so in both sort of a literal and more of a um theoretical emotional sense i really like that film yep that has been the conversation topic around tables that i've been a part of over and over and over again recently it's the freedom to be reasonable again and not have my views controlled by the tribe or the culture or wh- whatever power structure that I, ha- I have to be a part of. I'm having that conversation within it with everybody. Like there's a lot of folks who just think, well, you just need to give these arguments. These arguments will persuade others and you don't know what year you're living in. That's not how things work. <laughs> Nobody cares about reason right now. Nobody cares how smart you are. Right. This is a different. This is a different world. In and and that image of the youth not having to, not having to conform their minds to the Nazi regime. Uh, that's powerful stuff. Oh yeah, I've I have I think that's maybe been my most rewatched movie of the last I'd say three years. I wa- I, I watch it maybe once every two months and yeah. just just cry hysterically through right. the whole thing powerful yeah the only other movie that i thought emerged of reason and goodness triumphing over systemic control and freedom really winning the day was footloose oh my god that is <laughs> <laughs> A lot of my my head my brain had to process through a bunch of things before before I could really laugh at it because it was one of the ones I thought of. I was like, I'm not gonna talk about Footloose, <laughs> and here we are. I assume you mean the original, right? Not the garbage remake. I I don't know of that movie. Good. The second one that is. Yeah, it's. <laughs> you can't go wrong with John Lithgow as a religious zealoty uh, pastor dad. In a movie filled with great quotes. Guardians of the Galaxy's reference to Footloose is just so funny. I'm a warrior and an assassin. I do not dance. Really? Well, on my planet, there's a legend about people like you. It's called Footloose. And in it, a great hero named Kevin Bacon. He teaches an entire city 
full of people with sticks up their butts that dancing, well, it's the greatest thing there is. Who put the sticks up their butts? What? No, that's just a... That is cruel. Just a phrase people use. <laughs> There's, yeah, a couple of great moments uh, and, and cultural references in both of those films. That and the, all the David Hasselhoff stuff in, yes. in the second, in volume two is... About telling his dad, telling that his dad was what does she say? Zardu Hasselfrau is that what she thinks the name is? <laughs> so good, Footloose. Ah, well, we're talking about freedom. <laughs> Talk about Footloose now. <laughs> you uh, gotta get your your Gibson being impaled through his stomach and his guts getting ripped out. Freedom chant uh, yeah. on for this episode. The proverb at the top is hope can come from small sacrifices. Not sure that this one hits me as hard as uh, some of the other ones, but you, you got anything there? Uh, no, I actually agree with you. I, I, I saw it, and I, I think I really... I've watched this a couple of times very closely together, so I'm trying to remember what my first reaction to it was. And I think my first reaction was just that I agreed. Yeah. <laughs> it did. I, I re-listened to one of the first episodes we recorded not that long ago, and, and one of the things I remembered was being struck by the quote. Mm-hmm. On that episode and really bringing it up. Whereas this one, I was like, oh, yeah. Right. I agree. But no no profound thoughts. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, if you're making 150 of these, occasionally you just got to say, here's our fortune cookie wisdom. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the best we could do here. Yeah. And much like fortune cookies, uh, the opening parables on all these uh, Clone Wars episodes, if you add in bed to the end of them, hilarious. <laughs> I'm never not going to do that now. <laughs> Thank you. What was it? Uh, you, you, your brain naturally ruins everything. It was. Yeah, my brain is trained to ruin things. <laughs> ruin things. This is. This ought to be Daniel's Twitter handle. <laughs> I'm gonna change it right now. <laughs> I ruin things professionally. The narrator comes in and says, "A people enslaved." To locate the abducted colonists of a peace-loving world, the Jedi infiltrated the slaver planet of Zygeria, only to be captured by its ambitious queen, who plots to rebuild her empire of oppression. Now, even Obi-Wan Kenobi must come to terms with a life in chains. And we see images from the Ark, and we descend into hell. <laughs> there are machines and steam... And lots of orange and red. Yeah. It's like a visual Tom Waits album. <laughs> That's it. There's a large Zygarian who's on this flying throne, and he finds one of our heroes who's shoveling hot garbage, and he says over him, Obi-Wan Kenobi, once a Jedi master, now a Jedi slave. <laughs> Pitiful. That's one of those jokes that somebody would follow it up with, what, I'm joking, afterwards, because right. it's not actually funny. Yeah, yeah, it's a really great character just in terms of, like, clearly this guy is in power but is actually really weak. Yes. And him floating around in the chair and just insulting people is such a great way to show that. So, I mean, it's, it's actually really good storytelling and kind of showcasing the sort of cowardly weakness of those who might want to enslave other beings. I think it's done really well. It's that overconfident bully character that emerges in a lot of 
films who slash life isn't the primary villain but is kind of just the guy who's just making your life miserable and it's like oh you're the boss okay yeah this is Agress. He's the head of processing enslaved people on Cadavo. He's also called the Keeper in some of the dialogue. And we then see Tegrutens being forced to do all manner of laborious work. Got a lot of Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom is what I thought watching this. Mm-hmm. It's that underworld, red, big guys with whips. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Making life miserable. Yeah, just doing like really menial hurtful tasks we see a guard whip a Trigruton who had stopped for a break keep eyes on your toils Kenobi who's next to Rex and Rosh T who's the leader of the Trigrutons begins shutting down his emotions he clearly sees this as a problem but he starts analyzing the situation Everything about this place is designed to shatter the will. It has already begun to affect these poor people. Speech is forbidden. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. It will be punishment. And the guard begins beating Rosh T instead. And when Kenobi goes to help, his collar is shot. Our slave gives me commands. Take me before this one dies because of you. <laughs> Please, forgive me, master. <laughs> and there it is. Everything here is designed to shire the will, and now it's affecting Kenobi. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, there's there's three or four good opportunities for for him to just shut up, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. Granted, I would probably be guilty of doing that, too, were I in that situation of just kind of starting to panic and going into, like, well, I guess I'll just keep talking and, like, problem solve. But but it's it, it, it feels like there's a little bit of still arrogance with these characters of, like, well, don't you know we're the good guys? Yep. And we're going to keep talking and eventually we'll, we'll overpower you. And I, but I don't necessarily know if I think that it is a breaking of Obi-Wan Kenobi's will or if it is him being smart enough to connect the dots of what's happening and saying, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Master. Sure. You know, if, it, if it's more of a him finally getting it, because I think he is very calculating and shrewd and observant and wise. To me, that feels a little bit more like him finally getting that if he continues to talk, people are going to get hurt and possibly die. So he's figured out, okay, this is what I have to do. Yeah. I think this is, and maybe it's why the narrator starts with Obi-Wan and the show creators, therefore, are starting with Obi-Wan. One of the things we know about Obi-Wan is he doesn't like to be emotional, both on the negative sense and on the positive sense. Um, We're going to see this a lot more as we begin to see some of his other relationships, specifically romantic relationships that he may get involved in in the future. But we certainly know that on the negative side, he doesn't want to be emotional about Anakin's unhealth. And he doesn't want to go there and connect emotionally. He's going to, as as we just saw, he's going to analyze. He's going to stand apart from it all. By the end of the, I'll be real curious what you think on this because it seems to me that by the end of this episode, he actually has cracked, and he's at the end he's begging Anakin, right, to be aware 
of the potential damage that could be done to these enslaved people. And he's empathetic. They weaponize his empathy, and they and they weaponize Anakin's empathy over and over and over again. Yeah, I don't think it's happened yet, but I but I agree with you. There you go. That's a good way to put it. This is certainly like here's your first step. I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk you under the water so that you know what it feels like to almost drown, and just know that's gonna happen 28 more times this week. Right. When it feels like it it to 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 piggyback off of what you said, it also feels like. This is him kind of being validated for not wanting to be emotional because, like, okay, if I get emotional yep. about these people being beaten into submission, more people are going to get beaten into submission. So now, actually, the thing to do is behave the way I've been brought up to believe is the right way to behave and just shut down and, and be clinical. Right. His whole job here, and the reason that the Jedi got involved at all, was because the Togrutans the planet that they were overseeing was really important to the Republic as both a military base and they want alliances. And in this moment, the king turns, or at least the leader, the Togrutans turns to Obi-Wan and says, Keep away from me. Jedi only make things worse. At the beginning of this act, we talked about how Obi-Wan's a company man. And right there, that's not an assault on Obi-Wan. That's a, an assault on his ideals, on all those he represents. He is failing in his task because he's he has lost the leader that he has come to serve. But if he's a company man, that is an insult to him. And yeah. you know, not only is it an insult to that institution, it's an insult to everything he's based his life on and everything his identity is in. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I don't necessarily disagree with that observation either. (laughs) I'm sure you've seen these sorts of videos that are on the interweb that are kind of like, does Batman actually make Gotham a worse place? (laughs) Right. You know, your ideals may be good and yet your execution may be terrible. Yeah. You know, the the best of intentions. I believe there's a saying about that. There you go. Rashti's reaction is not very rational. Rashti's reaction is entirely based on being tortured, you know, and he's just like spilling over in that moment. But the thing watching this that I really loved were the collars. I really want to talk about these collars. These collars are throughout these this arc. We haven't really hit on them, but I think they're wonderful in terms of a storytelling device and what they symbolize and sure. how they get played out through here. Um, have you now? I know that you are not the Schwarzenegger fan that I am. I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you seen The Running Man? Yeah, it's the Stephen King. Is it at the beginning? Schwarzenegger's in prison, and the way that they keep the inmates in a certain area is by having collars that look a whole lot like these. Uh, they are not conduits of electricity like these are. They have right. little explosives, so it's very Suicide Squad. Yeah, thing going on. And if you venture past the perimeter, then they are... Detonated. Right. (laughs) Nothing worth losing your head over, though, huh? Got it. That's that's everything I keep thinking here, is that they put these collars on, and it's not just that they symbolize don't break the rules or else, but they also are just this constant reminder to those who are enslaved 
that they are subject to pain and punishment and, you know, their freedom's been taken. Well, I also think it's it's just a dehumanizing thing too. I mean, you put animals in collars. That's how yes. you keep that's how you keep animals or livestock or whatever. So, in addition to that, there is just a there's just a removal of of one's own autonomy and sense of these aren't human beings, I guess. But but the the Tegruden sense of self gets taken away because because then it's like you're you're a possession at that point. I don't know how to find this for listeners, but in Ken Burns' fantastic Civil War documentary, he has a picture of a man who has a collar on, and it has these pieces of metal. I mean, you can imagine rebar that are maybe two to three feet long that are stretching above his head, and it would just make movement very awkward. And apparently this was a way to keep this man from running away. Uh, it, it was essentially locked onto his neck and it allowed him to do work, but it would make it very difficult for him to hide or, you know, something of that sort. You couldn't run into the forest, I would imagine, or yeah. trees. or You would consistently yeah. catch it on things. And, God, and it's just, that's awful. Right, and it's, it's, it's super troubling when you, when you see that film, which if you haven't had a chance to see it, and oh, I have. No, I have. If you care about <laughs> a fantastic uh, film presentation about enslaved people, go ahead and skip this Star Wars episode. Go watch yourself some Ken Burns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ken, that guy is that guy is a master storyteller. Lastly, and this was an important point made by the creators in the commentary, Obi Wan and Anakin have very different origins. Obi-Wan says elsewhere he can't remember his homeworld and that he was brought to the temple when he was three. Yoda placed Obi-Wan with Qui-Gon, who we will meet later in our binge. But as we know from episode one, Qui-Gon's a noble character. He's a knight. He holds himself with class and dignity and is placed in charge of protecting and overseeing royalty. He's routinely put in these places where he is protecting those of high regard among the people. And we see this with Padme Amidala. He feels like a Merlin. That's what it actually makes Ooh. me think of. Like Merlin is tasked with rearing Arthur, making sure he knows, at least in some versions of that story, you know, he with like yeah. protect him, teach him the things he needs to know, make sure he gets from A to B unscathed. Like he, he feels like a, like a, I mean, he's a wizard. Another character in that kind of trope of discovering the talent and then bringing them into fruition. Yeah. It's the Obi-Wan character. It's the it's the wise old man who finds you and says, you have what it takes, kid. Go and dance at that high school dance. I'm just going to keep the Footloose <laughs> thing going. <laughs> the, the image that actually came to my mind was uh, Doc Brown when you said that. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's another one. <laughs> Ooh, that does work. Christopher Lloyd. If you go back to our episode on students... That is a perfect example of the trope of the wise old man who discovers the talent and is killed and then comes back to life again later. What about all that talk about screwing up future events, the space-time continuum? Well, I figured, what the hell? We talked about the resurrection of the, oh. of, of the mentor. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens in Back to the Future. Yeah. Well, 
this is the quality of, I mean, who is it that you put in charge of royalty in terms of their protection and, you know, overseeing diplomacy? That's who Qui-Gon is. You send that guy. And he goes to Padme and he goes later to a character who we're going to meet in the binge, uh, the Duchess of Mandalore. Long story short, Obi-Wan has grown up in the corridors of power and influence, and he has been trained by that guy, by the noble Qui-Gon, who himself was trained by Count Dooku, who we'll see in this episode. And the one thing that Dooku does not have on his lapel is, you know, a gravy stain. That's not that guy. (laughs) Dude is flying a space yacht is what he's actually doing. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's... He's he's high up in the, you know, nobility circle. Uh clearly. Like he's got the chain connecting his robe. But yeah, he's a lot of regalness there. Fun fact, uh Christopher Lee, who you will know played Count Dooku, mm-hmm. apparently is the person upon whom the fictional character James Bond is based. Really? I read that on the internet, and so it must be true. Well, it must be true. Yeah, you can't put anything. <laughs> on the internet that is a lie. What's also interesting, uh, as I have talked about too much on this Star Wars podcast, uh, I've, I watched The Crown many times mm-hmm. throughout this pandemic, and there have there have been other adaptations of those human beings' life, and, and Christopher Lee actually played uh, Prince Philip once. Ah. And, and they were actually good friends in real life. So it is just interesting, all these like very regal, elegant, posh people, be it James Bond, yep. be it Count Dooku, be it a real guy like Prince Philip, whatever, like he just, he, or, he, or I mean, even, even uh, Saruman to, to a degree, like just these very regal, polished, totally Lord, Lord-like characters. Dr- Dracula. Well, there's just one more thing, Mr. Harker. I have to go out and I will not be back until after sundown tomorrow. But until then, please look upon this house as your own. Good night, Mr. Harker. <laughs> that guy has never played like a gross, like kind of sketchy guy that right? you know hangs out in a bar and makes people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> From age three, the only caretaker in his life is Qui-Gon Hu was trained by Dooku. That's what you need to know about him. And he's and he's brought up in the corridors of power, as opposed to Luke Skywalker, who says, Well, if there's a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet that it's farthest from. I see so. Obi-Wan is the opposite of that. He's actually right in oh, the yeah. center. Jedi Temple, walking the halls of the Senate. That's also not who Anakin is. Anakin is a scrappy, enslaved kid who likes working on cars. And flying pod racers. Got oil on his hands, creating droids, and is an enslaved human being. And when he sees other enslaved human beings, it triggers something. So you know that whether or not they filmed it in episode one, he clearly had seen abusive situations for himself and his mother. Yeah. And the, one of the interesting dynamics then, and I'm sure this is in other stories, you have Obi-Wan who's ivory tower to the core trying to pull this scrappy kid, elevate him into that space. This is how it's done. And that's just not in Anakin's DNA, yeah? No, not at all. Well, it's also, it is interesting to, I'm just, I, I'm still thinking about 
Qui-Gon Jinn's influence in Obi-Wan Kenobi's life. And it's so interesting to me that for all the things that Qui-Gon is that we've already talked about, there is also this kind of little bit of a mischievous sort of twinkle in the eye, like Mm -hmm. know which rules to break, bend, and to just not even follow, but still kind of fly under the radar, which I intentionally, which I don't see in Obi-Wan Kenobi. He sort of unwillingly gets sort of cajoled into kind of breaking the rules, whereas it just seems like Qui-Gon is pretty willing in moments to be like, eh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this barrier just a little bit because it's for the greater good. Yeah, it's okay. Probably okay. It's interesting. There's no, I don't feel like there's any of that willingness from Obi-Wan Kenobi. At some point, maybe we'll do a, an episode that's just, it's not necessarily tackling episode one or two, but maybe saying here are the three things that we like most in those. Because there is really worthwhile stuff to talk about, especially with, with Qui-Gon. Episode one is Qui-Gon's movie. Yeah. He's the only good, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. he's the only good part of that uh, part of that movie. He is a confident person to step into a room with that circle of Jedi and hold his own and say, this is the right thing to do. He is the chosen one. You must see it. And if you don't and, see it, I'm going to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he looks both Mace Windu and Yoda in the face and says, I'm going to do this with or without your permission. Yes. So you can support me or you can just watch me. That comes from a real similar center to where Obi-Wan's decisions come from. And maybe this is what really influences Obi-Wan is that he's seen that guy. That guy is idealistic. That guy is really grounded in, in beliefs that shape who he is and he connects to this is the right thing to do and he knows it at a very core level yeah it feels like there's a very um overdeveloped and maybe not necessarily in a bad way but just a very overdeveloped sense of justice yeah in Qui-Gon that goes into Obi-Wan I think that's right Obi-Wan striving to be like his master I think is a primary on that front he Obi-Wan is actually a, a lot more connected to the Republic and the idea of the Republic and the idea of the Jedi Order than Qui-Gon is. I think we see that. I think Qui-Gon's a lot more loose in saying there's a, maybe even a higher order of goodness than the Jedi Order. I'm not sure that, I don't know that Obi-Wan could get there. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like I, I have never actually, in all my years of being a Star Wars fan, looked into anything about Qui-Gon's past before he did yeah. what he did. But I almost wonder if it's like the priest who gets into the Order after doing a lot of other things and experiencing the real world. And, sure. And maybe has, you know, like done some more like not necessarily like priestly things, but now is in the Order and yeah. and still kind of still is able to sort of see the value in the world outside of those walls. Whereas if you are, if you only know the dogma of the religion, regardless of that guy being your teacher, you're still going to have the uh, subconscious influence of the, the walls in which you were grown up and confined to. Yep. I mean, the one thing that we do, man, I have never put this together and I've never read the books or seen the comic books for Qui-Gon and, Obi-Wan's no, early same. years. But notice this. Qui-Gon is the student of Dooku. 
Dooku, who walks away from the Order. Qui-Gon, who challenges the Order. Then you have Obi-Wan. Then you have Anakin, who destroys the Order. And you have uh, Ahsoka, who leaves the Order before Anakin. The, the only outlier there really is Obi-Wan, who's actually committed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Never put that together. Like, this is a chain of people who... And still, still, even like even in his death, thinks there's only one way to do the yeah. things because he said he says about Luke that boy was our last hope. Like he's still so very like this was the but this was the idea mm-hmm. and it's not going to work. Even I was going to say even right up until the end, but the quote end already happened when he when he says that line. Here's the thing about the Jedi Order: you can't escape it in your life and mine. Star Wars isn't about these characters in a galaxy far, far away. It's about you. And it's about me, and it's about the places that we, you know, find our identity and value, and we say this is the way that our lives should be run. And how do we relate to that? And that could be your church, and that could be your government, and that could be, you know, it could be all sorts of things that you say. This is the place I connect to life as it's meant to be, and you can't go very far down that path before you at some point say, I wonder if this is really the place I should land. Four of those, five, what would it be? I don't know what you call that person. She's a Padawan. So she hasn't taken the Jedi trials. This ends up being a big part of her story later. But Four out of five Force users decide yeah, to there it is. step away from the thing. Yeah. Hadn't thought about that. That I find that real interesting. So spend a little time there. No, no it is. It totally is. Well, and I mean, just that, that feels like with, with so many things that people base their life in, whether it is, philo- you know, kind of philosophic ideologies, religious ideologies, whatever, some people decide to leave, some people stay away, some people kind of come back, or, or some people don't fully come back, but they sort of live kind of a pieced together from the things that feel right for them, and and, and I feel like that's all those four characters as well. Yeah. We've seen that with clones as well. I mean, certainly there's no more idealistic clone than Rex in terms of this is what it's about. That's why that oh, yeah. deserter episode is so choice in terms of elevating the opposite side of that. I wonder if that's not just a huge part of life. I don't know that I've thought much about this, but I bet you most people have experiences of that because that's kind of how the social order works. It's like something is elevated that people rally around that they come to and they say this is what's most meaningful. Yep. And this is why, hey, Star Wars fandom, this is why folks get so animated about Star Wars. It's not because Star Wars is a throwaway set of movies that's escapism. It's that people actually find that this actually touches something core to what it means to be a human being, and it's exposing it. Like, nobody thinks that Star Wars is what's core, but it's exposing something core, and that's why we are cheering so hard for for it to be done well and, right. and executed well. Yeah. Everybody wants to belong to something bigger than themselves, which on one level is the force. On the other level is like the rebel alliance. Yeah. You know, and, and then on the other level is the the friendships of like Han and Luke and Leia and Lando and all those things. Like there it's it just is. got, you know, human beings desire acceptance, shelter, comfort and whatever. And those all can be found in your religion, your job and your friend group and community. Yeah, that's a good call. Those are, just, those are inherent things that we all want. I think that's right. It elevates human connection. 
all all of it. Rebels elevates it. Clone Wars elevates it. The original trilogy uh, trilogy elevates it. Sequels really try to elevate it. I suppose. <laughs> Boy, they try. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is some connection there for. The thing about Obi-Wan and Anakin is that they're brothers who come from very different places. And Obi-Wan, being the master, is saying, come live in the ivory tower. And Anakin's like, let me tell you about the things that trigger me. Yeah. He's the Princess Margaret, just to continue with the crown mm. analogies that I, that I like making. He doesn't want to. doesn't fit him. His understandable childhood fears are not addressed by... The spirituality that's offered to him. Uh, it seems like there's a there's a scene where Yoda is giving kind of a counseling session to Anakin and Sith, and it's almost like you need to get over this. You need to simply get rid of your attachments. That's the way of the the Jedi, and it's like, man, you don't know where I'm from. <laughs> you're gonna, you're going to need to go a little bit. You're going to need to move stronger into that space don't don't you feel like you know this from all of the years of pastoral work that you've done but that that feels like such a real life parallel to i think things people experience in in religion at times where it's when you're when you're walking through the thing and doing it people are happy but the minute you start (laughs) yeah sometimes the minute you start saying, "What? Well, hang on a minute. I got, I've got some questions about some personal things that I'm thinking and feeling or whatever that maybe are inc- incongruous with this. And the minute you kind of start saying, I'm afraid of this or I'm confused about that, that's when people are like, no, 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 just do the thing. And, yeah. and that, I mean, how many people has that sent away from like organized religion? Yeah. Because we don't know how to, institutions don't do a good job addressing people saying, but what about fear and what about yep uh you know all of these all of these things that you just can't extrapolate you can't you cannot separate from what it is to be a living person yeah we're not people aren't equipped to answer those questions twofold on this front one just let the understand my family uh extended family is a train wreck and then there's my job, <laughs> you know, the, as a doing pastoral ministry, which I don't do anymore. Um, what essentially you're you are in a lighthouse with a with a map of where storms happen, and you're telling people, hey, this is where the storms happen, and how to navigate it. And what you got is a map, you know, and you're telling people what's on the map. It's very different to hear that over the intercom when there's a twenty foot wave coming at you. I don't know what it's like to lose a kid. I don't know what it's like to get cancer. These are uh, completely foreign from my experience. I got a map, and this is what the 2,000 years of history say. And, man, I'm going to love you as best I can. I'm really sorry that you're going through this. And that's the thing like that Anakin lacks. He doesn't have somebody who said, I have been there, and I know what it's like. I I know what this is like, or maybe not even well, to he, say that, but even to say you are seen and your pain is real. And or, you yeah, know, I don't think he has either. He doesn't have the person who can say I've been exactly there yeah. and I know what it's like. And you're not you're not wrong and you're not alone. But he also doesn't have somebody who can just say, you know, I can't really relate to that experience. 
but I see that you're hurting and I just want to give you the permission to sit in that space. You're, you're allowed to be upset by those things. Yes. And I'll sit with you as long as you wanted it, even though I cannot relate to it. He doesn't have either. That's how it is. And this is this we routinely see this is by the way why the the writing for Clone Wars is gold. They they know what they have. They never make that connection between Anakin and Kenobi. They always yeah, it's done really well. They are always on the surface level. That banter is always choice, upbeat. We're we're clearly fighters moving through this together. And so too we we'll see it in one of the scenes in this episode the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka. Ahsoka knows he's an unhealthy person and she gives frowns when he does things badly, but she can't speak into that space. And it just over and over again, they're going to just, just show you, just show you anyway. Um, but here's the thing about this episode that the show creators wanted to say is that Obi-Wan perhaps for the first time gets a glimpse of Anakin's background, because right here he is an enslaved human being, and he can't do anything about it. And all he—he's just got suffering on the calendar for the next couple months. Yeah, so I got nothing to add to that. I agree. And I suppose on the flip side, Anakin is also in a system he can't escape, but it's a very highbrow system. He's clearly in the most powerful. You know, what is it? He's in the palace. But he can't, yeah. he can't leave, and I wonder if that's not partially Obi-Wan's story. Oh. So in a way, everybody in this is, is I, want, I want to say this carefully, but I feel like everybody, to a degree, is enslaved by something, is, is what we're saying. Like, whether it be, you know, you're actually enslaved, yeah. sh- shoveling hot garbage in, in the, the bowels of this planet, or you're enslaved to the ideology that you're in, whether that's the queen, whether that's Obi Wan Kenobi, whether that's whatever, or you're or you're enslaved to your uh, if you're not if you're unhealthy and not going to do the work on yourself like a character like Anakin isn't, you become enslaved to your fears and emotions. So everybody is enslaved by something yeah. in this episode, and I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, is there a free person in this episode? Wonder if Ahsoka is a free person. R two D two does what R two D two wants, I think. But <laughs> yes, and he can fly away, which is which we get to see in this episode. You're like, why doesn't he do that all the time? I do think, but you know, the Bob Dylan line comes up here. You gotta, you gotta serve somebody, and sometimes, yeah, you know, you're forced into that. You've made choices. I don't know. That's the 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 episode ought to bring up some of this stuff in our in our minds and and hearts. It's it's an avenue for introspection. Yeah. Who are we serving? <laughs> Fun fact: In an interview with John Stewart, one George Lucas said of Obi Wan Kenobi uh, that his home of origin was one of the first things that he wrote down in his very first script. He said Obi Wan comes from Stu John. And he happened to say that on John Stewart's show. <laughs> he did. That is that is not true. I mean, I, I know that he said that. Cause I've seen that interview, but that's I don't believe that for a minute. Fortunately or unfortunately, now according to Wikipedia, <laughs> the home of Obi Wan is Stu John. <laughs> Interestingly enough, when he was on Colbert, he also said he came from Colstay, which is just interesting. <laughs> Wait a second. 
Hang on a minute. Well, we cut to the space above Cadavo. We see large numbers of spacecraft arriving and leaving, implying that there are many enslaved people who are being moved from this planet. We then see a very elegant spacecraft emerging above the planet, and this is Dooku's, uh, which we've seen in uh, Attack of the Clones. And we saw it in Lost Ones, but we have not seen its elegant, spectacular solar sails. No reason for these. It's just, they're just super cool looking. Luxury. It is. I suppose that is the reason. It does scream yeah. luxury. Sometimes people just like tooling around in something that looks nice. I, I rewatched this a couple times, and the overwhelming thought I had was this is the opposite of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you, yeah. Looks like everything. Not the one in Solo with all the capes, but the the latter. Yes. The, no one's looking at Dooku's ship and saying, What a piece of junk. <laughs> yeah. yeah t- no. Regal, pristine, elevated. This screams out evil in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Sleek and evil go hand in hand. <laughs> right. So it sails past the line of large cargo ships. And we cut inside to Dooku lounging in front of a hologram. Well, Sidious is in the hologram, and he says, Long have Sith empires been built upon the backs of slaves. To carry on this tradition, we will require millions. Sidious is a bit more forthright about his economic theory than many present-day political figures, yeah? Oh, yeah, he's evil and he's not hiding it. How slavery works transitions over time. And sometimes it's you you beat people with a whip, and sometimes you just withhold things that are absolutely essential to any human being to have a healthy life. And these are both forms of enslavement. And let the listener understand. Yeah. With, but w- like withhold and then sort of like dangle it. Like, you know what I mean? If, like, if only you worked hard enough. Yeah, you could maybe have this, don't you think? I'd I'd happily give it to you too. There's just a few things that I need from you. That's how Sidious gets Anakin. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he 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 lures him over. He he's essentially ooh, yeah. What's the carrot? Uh, right. You you scared of this person you love dying? You've lost a lot of people. Yeah. If you come serve me in into perpetuity i'll tell you how to to keep around the people that you care about that's pretty much how that works that strategy ain't ain't gone away no place (laughs) i mean there in today's economy it it does end up being freedom is restricted by the inability to pay for your kids health care you know freedom is restricted by and we could we could fill in a handful of things there in terms of yeah how structures are created to ensure that you have low-income workers. And if it's the case that those with leverage over compensation continue to drive down said compensation, then what else do you call it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts on that based off of just my day job, but I believe (laughs) there are some, there are some contractual contractual things I'm not allowed to uh, do. This talking about it here would be one of them, believe it or not. <laughs> this, this might work its way onto an orange desk somewhere. <laughs> it it might. It might, yeah. yeah. 
I assure you the Queen's defiance will not sour your plans, Master. If she fails to see the error of her ways, end her rule. I think it's just everybody's so expendable to these folks. You know what I mean? Whereas you get the vibe that with the Jedi and the, the Republic and it's like we we like having a community of people that are willing to work with us and we like to keep these people around. Whereas with these people, it's like the minute that person stops being useful, just get rid of them. Yep. I haven't done the exhaustive study here, but this might be the first time chronologically in Star Wars on film that the word empire is used. I looked oh. it up and it, on Wikipedia, this is the first time that Sith empire is used. And that's an idea that when you look at, if you were to look at a timeline, a Star Wars timeline, it goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And at times there are Sith empires that emerge and that's clearly part of, we had talked a long time ago, we talked about what is Palpatine's big ambition? Is it just mere right, power? Yeah. And it may be the case that he has a religious tradition and he wants to see his, not only himself, but his religious tradition come back into prominence and power and oversee everything. It's not simply he himself ruling, but it's here are my people and where I find my identity. And it it's it is. I want my religion to dominate because that's what we're made to do. And I'm gonna be the one who will be known for ten thousand years in the future as the one who was the ruler of it all at this point in time. Yeah, I'm the best follower of the ideology yeah. that I believe because I was able to push it into prominence. I wonder if there's not something there. And especially if he can, as we see in later, you know, films, if he can figure out immortality in some sense, then that just extends his grandeur over. It makes him more powerful than all the other Sith emperors that ever came before him. He's better than them. It makes him, in a, in a, I mean, it makes him a god. Yeah. That's exactly it. It makes him the deity of the religious thing that he is pushing. I think that that may be a better way to spin what motivates him. So he wants immortality. That's what we're going to, that's, that's our official stance then. He wants immortality of his beliefs and also himself. Yeah. And it, it's a immortality that's not just his own extended life because just depending on how these things get spun, it looks like he's being... You know, it's clones that are carrying his life in the sequel trilogy, yeah? And in The Mandalorian a little bit. I, th I mean, I think that's what got alluded to it towards the end of season two. I don't, I don't know for sure, but... There, there is an immortality to legacy. There's only one Alexander the Great. There's only one Genghis Khan. There's only one Julius Caesar. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. It's like, my name will be known, and I will be held in high regard. Even though all three of those dudes are... Terrible human beings you would never, ever want to become. They're immortalized. Right. Because of their power. Yeah. Only one Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And that's in, in when you say, I'm going to establish this imperial order that's going to last and last and last, as are the ambitions of said people. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're going for. It's not just power, it's that I want to be remembered. 
immortality. Yeah. We're going to do this. Infamous. It's more than famous. <laughs> and apparently it's only going to require millions of enslaved people. What a deal. <laughs> Seriously. <sighs> Ass clowns. That's a... <laughs> that's... I mean, I guess the Empire logo looks a little bit like it. Never mind. <laughs> so we see Dooku's ship land, and the camera pans across the city to show us its scale, and it looks in on the palace of Queen Mirage, Sintel, who we see walking with Anakin arm-in-arm. Arm. Followed at a distance is R2-D2. Have you considered my offer, Skywalker? If you vow loyalty to me, I will free your friends. It's not an easy decision. Hmm. Curious. I thought the Jedi were selfless, placing the needs of others before their own. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I know my I know my friends are, but I'm not like them. It's again leveraging another's empathy. So the same strategy to enslave the last people. The thing that came to my mind, and this is I don't mean to go down the literary rabbit hole here but Dostoevsky's Grand Inquisitor yes, God forbid. <laughs> Dostoevsky's Grand Inquisitor does essentially the same thing there the the image being that Jesus is taken up on a high place by the devil and said if you simply kneel to me I'll give you all of this which means no more suffering mm-hmm. and that's what the in Dostoevsky's uh fantastic piece he has the this character say if you had simply knelt to the devil, you would have eliminated all pain and suffering. And you didn't do it. And that's why I must kill you now. It's it's that sort of image. And that is what's going on in the Gospels. It's That is, in part, what's, I suppose, offered. If it's the case that someone actually oversees all the details of the world, and they say, I will give these to you if you kneel before me, and you're a person who's good, you could say, well, that sounds like a good trade. I'll kneel before you, and then I'll get to do all the things I want, which you know is is your big long list of here's what would make the world better. And it's a, it, you know, what I mean, there. I do. In in essence, the 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 statement from the queen is absolutely synonymous. Have you considered my offer? Will you vow loyalty to me? What's the quote from the beginning? Like, yeah. one can you know can one can one person one small thing sacrifice fix all this other stuff Ooh, there you go maybe not so so fortune cookie i in bed <laughs> it still works <laughs> i actually believe the queen i don't i don't actually think this is as i guess it is a manipulative ploy i don't know i think she's i think she's being really honest i think there's a part of her that like wants him and like could like kind of is envisioning maybe a life with him and like oh, we yeah. kick these awful guys out of our planet. It I could I will free your friends and it could be you and I and we could have kind of like this new life together. I think that's exactly right. I think she has the identical perception of Anakin and his aptitude that Palpatine does. And I mean, it's not like Sidious doesn't need to kill anyone to control the galaxy. He has that guy do it. You know, yeah. Why? But I just think I don't know. May, may, maybe the like part of my soul that's like kind of a hopeless romantic is like I almost. Well, I think I. I think there's some like genuine like 
I could have a different life in this character. Totally. I didn't like the character of the queen the first time we meet her, but in this episode, I like I really kind of had started to have a heart for this character. I think you're exactly right. I think they make her way more sympathetic here, and I think she's at, genuinely in love with this person. Yeah, because she's never met anybody like that. Yep, alas. And he actually, at the end of the last episode, gets very authentic and tells it how it is and she may not be used to hearing that from anybody oh not at all yeah i i think yeah and here she's elevating his moral code and she um, i imagine that she thinks he's a good person and that's one of the things that's really attractive you know you're a Jedi. she's wrong but <laughs> right but uh, that may be an assumption jedi you're selfless you're going to place the needs of others before your own which includes mine and nobody actually authentically looks out for me it's all dog eat dog on this planet yeah kill or be killed a Thai molek the servant of the queen comes in and says my queen i bring word count dooku is on his way here <sighs> sooner than anticipated Make preparations for his arrival. So even you have a master. Because you gotta serve somebody. Everybody in this episode is enslaved to something. Doku is not my master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's convincing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure he's not. Perhaps you should not attend this meeting. Can I trust you not to run away? And we hear his anger with rumbles as he grabs his lightsaber barrel. I never realized this till I was doing the edit for one of our podcasts today. But in New Hope, you will remember the boardroom scene where one of the Imperial officers tells Darth Vader. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes. Are giving you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels yeah. hidden. The same sound occurs right before he begins to force choke. This is this bass rumble. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Oh. Enough of this. Vader, release that gives you an audio cue that his anger is being utilized here and arising in his heart. And in New Hope, he uh, he clearly strangles the dude. Right. But the same thing happens here. Like, you see it on his face, you hear it in, in the mix. That is incredibly interesting. And now I want to go rewatch both of those moments back to back. Yeah. I, I'd be cu curious if it happens elsewhere in the original trilogy. I, I imagine they may have repeated that. But they certainly use it a, a handful of times in Clone Wars, which I'm, I'm now recalling. I didn't realize That's it awesome. had an anchor in the, in the original trilogy. That was the thing that hit me. Yeah. So... He has the lightsaber in hand. The guards are behind him, and they raise their blasters at the back of his head. I don't run away from anything, Your Highness. <laughs> hmm. And takes the lightsaber. That's flirting. <laughs> I, it is. You know, it was like I'm not, like a, like a half joking, but also have like that that whole scene just feels like kind of like weird flirty chemistry. It's that sexual tension that emerges when things are really dangerous, you know. 
not personally, but yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> never been in any like real dangerous situations in my. I've had like chemistry with human beings before, but it never because like there was any like d- like severe peril happening. It was like a coffee shop. There were no guns involved. You know, it's like <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It was the stakes could not have been lower. There's, we were talking off air about rats and I have ratatouille on the brain, but there's a scene where uh, the rat is going through one of those apartment complexes and there's like two French lovers and the male says to the woman, they look at each other and they're shocked and then they start making out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Never been in a situation like that. No hope. Hope to never. No firearms involved in your makeout sessions. Not that I've been aware of. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna make any recommendations on this because I, I, it's I not that kind of podcast, <laughs> right? When we have Nikki Glazer on this show, she can recommend <laughs> that to people, but not a minute before. Apparently, those podcasts do quite well. There, there's a few in the top ten. Cool. <laughs> I've, I, the like anyone who knows me know these topics make me ridiculously uncomfortable, and so I, I'm, I'm Obi Wan Kenobi here. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just elevating above it all. Then R two D two comes into view, and we watch the guards abusing Anakin, and R two comes and he runs into them. Get off, you miserable tin can! Racist. <laughs> Anakin then uses the opportunity to jump over the side of the building while the guards are distracted. One says, Get down there and find that Jedi. Yes, sir. That's an impressive feat, by the way. Like, There's a couple of things that he does. Obviously, uh, physical skills enhanced by the Force, but like, there's a couple of leaps that he does in this episode where Mm -hmm. you're like, that's amazing. Yeah. He's always a superstar, but they they get creative for sure. Yeah. This is a trick. Anakin had found a way to cling to the side, springs back up onto the platform, and then he takes this guard. And I actually think this is a really important scene in this episode because I'm going to come back to it a couple times. And he takes the guard and he throws him off the edge. And he plummets like eight stories. But it's clear that oh, yeah. Anakin aimed the guard at a place where the guard could land and not be killed. And I think this is very important. Well, because in the episode prior to this, we see the accidental plummeting of somebody that doesn't result huh? in that. And you can see how bothered he is by True. it when, the, when um, the queen's enslaved like drink carrier or whatever ends up jumping off of the building. Yep. I don't know if those are connected, but it does seem like a very intentional. Could be. This is an act of mercy right here. He was He's an enslaved person. He's being abused by these two guards, and yet he shows mercy to this man. I, that will not be the case later in the episode. And, uh, and there's good, uh, apparently there's a trigger because he goes dark, and there's images of his friends looking at him and saying, this is unacceptable. And I think those are th- that was something that hit me. I'll bring it up later, but right here it's worth noting. Well, uh, yeah, and there's another example of a character showing absolutely no mercy to one of these people as well. Towards the end of this episode, yes. too, where I like, genuinely it happened, and I genuinely was like, "Whoa, yes, this is a kid show." Yes, 
No, there's a there's there is a lot of very you know implied violence or real scary no, not, not imagery. Implied, yeah, <laughs> like like de- de- demonstrable violence. <laughs> we'll get to it, but there is a total pull from Coppola's Godfather in in one of the deaths in this where I was like. Whoa! They just they did that <laughs> in this episode. In this episode, or in... I'll bring okay. I'll bring it up because I I rewound it a couple times and I was like, I guess that was pretty quick, but I know what's going on there, and I know yeah. who they're borrowing this idea from. <laughs> you know, Oof. Anakin looks at R two D two and it is upbeat. He just threw off this guard, but he saved his life, and so he can then go to R two, who often is you know, a moral center of the Star Wars galaxy. And quick to voice his disgust. Right. <laughs> and disapproval of stuff. He's, and, and we'll come back to that, because I think actually that's important. And Anakin says, Nice work, pal. You find Ahsoka? And R2 did, and we leave Anakin off. And we cut to the throne room on Kadavo, and a Molek stands next to the queen on a high throne as Dooku walks in. And Mirage says, I wasn't expecting you, Count. Not without an invitation. But I was invited by your faithful advisor. He's concerned over how attached you've become to Skywalker. Skywalker is a symbol of my... our power to enslave even Jedi. The character Mirage is all about image. I miss that. And that's, that's, that's exactly what that's about. She is about her image. And then she realizes, not me, it's us, but it's really her. I think she's emboldened by some of the feelings and some of the other things with with Anakin yep. to get a little pushy. Yeah, and that that would be another element of that kind of person. If she is able to seduce Anakin, it looks as though she's powerful and has this worthy lover. The foundation of their relationship is clearly toxic. You know, it's manipulative, and and as Anakin said earlier, it's all about her having all the power. But she doesn't care about reality. She cares about appearances. Yeah, it's the perception. And hence the name Mirage. Well, Dooku says, Your power over him is an illusion. Ha! (gasps) Dooku gets it. I knew that guy was smart. You forget. I was once a Jedi myself. Not sure that we have heard that in the binge yet, but that's something that's unveiled in Attack of the Clones in depth. That he was part of the Jedi Order. We have obviously talked about how he was Qui Gon's mm-hmm. master. Yeah, we learned that in Attack of the Clones, don't we? That's at the library. Yeah, we learn it when he is uh, torturing, or he has uh, Obi Wan Kenobi kind of in that cruciform oh. position. He's in bondage. There's a great dialogue. It, it's one of the few great scenes in that movie. And they have a conversation, and Dooku really pours his heart out to Obi-Wan. It is, it's one of those Sith seductive scenes. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith. I will never join you, Dooku. Dooku wants to take Obi-Wan as his apprentice. Right. Boy, I'm about to go rewatch that. It's worthwhile. It's it's not a secret that we're not a 
huge fan of that movie, but there's there's obviously some no. there are some beats and and worthwhile. I mean, it's Christopher Lee and even McGregor. Those those dudes have yeah, skills, is. and if you put them in the same room, something good might happen. <laughs> yeah, you can in in the same way that like a guy like Anthony Hopkins can elevate yep. not great text. Like there's some moments in Westworld that like if you were to just read the script, his characters are like this is not good writing and then anthony hopkins does it dude just like my god that dude the greatest yeah. actors living he is not phoning it in here in his 80s you know he's winning best actors yeah. and his stuff there's a great video essay about just one of his scenes in westworld i forgot do oh, I think I might have seen. I want to say this. it's the Nerd Rider. Yeah, or I, or I've seen a version yeah. of this, but yeah. I want to say it's the Nerd Rider, but they just break down the scene with how much is communicated through his face in one scene in Westworld, and it's it's like oh, um, the the movie that he just won an yeah. Academy Award for, yeah, is phenomenal. And he does so much in that movie. It's about a it's about an older man struggling with dementia and losing his sense of self and forgetting who he is and forgetting the people around him. And he play he, there's one scene where he goes from like kind of just talking and being whatever to like being very vulnerable and very scared. And it's oh yeah. my god, <laughs> like it's it's effortless except yeah. not. You know what I mean? Like. You know how much effort he's putting into it, but just to watch it on the screen, you're like, "Wow, that was that was yeah. six seconds." Yeah, he you know he he was talking. He still memorizes a poem a day because he just to keep keep himself. And he paints and he does all the and plays the piano just to like yeah. keep himself thinking. That's a, I don't do that. <laughs> like I'm in my thirties. I'm like that sounds his hard. Sort of acting requires high amounts of skill in very small amounts of time and it's like what do you what do you do a sharp oh, yeah. saw in the off time and that's brilliant well yeah so film acting i'm not that i've really ever done it but like film acting i would imagine is here you get this on the day and you got to memorize yeah. these five and pages there you go. as opposed to theater where it's like all right you got six to eight weeks to learn all this yeah yeah but he's He's on Mount Rushmore. His leer that they put out over the over this last year on yeah. Amazon Prime, um, if you have not seen that, mm. I'd highly recommend it. That thou hast sought to make us break our vows, which we durst never yet. Our potency made good, take thy reward. Five days we do allot thee for a provision to shield thee from diseases of the world. And on the sixth to turn thy hated back upon our kingdom, if on the tenth day following Thy banished tongue be found in our dominions. The moment is thy death away by Jupiter. This shall not be revoked. It's one of the it's one of the best leers I've ever seen. Both him as the actual title character, but then just in terms of adaptations of King Lear in general. Because it's not only is it him; it's also Emma Thompson as one of the daughters, and Emma Emma. Uh, Who's in Red Dragon? Yeah, you got me on that. Oh, but yeah. just, just killer cast, just absolutely. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, who was a great, uh, who was one of the doctors sure. in Doctor Who, and just just beautiful performances. Jim Broadbent, who was a, just a great British character actor. They apparently didn't have any problem getting good cast members when they heard that Anthony Hopkins was playing <laughs> Lear. Yeah, it's it's just an embarrassment of riches. Go, I, 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 
and they cut it down real nice too. Like it's it's not like just four hours of like oh my god. Like it's it's a really good cutting yeah. of the script. And, mm. um, Come on, very worthwhile to watch. Mirage says, "You have little in common with Anakin. Please hear my plans for the Jedi, then decide. Right now, at my facility in the Kadavo system, Obi Wan Kenobi is in despair. I'm listening." Kenobi is coming to realize, perhaps for the first time in his life, that his efforts to help others will only injure them. And again, here's the strategy. Here's, here's how we do things on my planet. And then as she begins to speak, we see images. I don't know that this happens very often in this show, but we see images far away, and she's dialoguing over them almost as a voiceover. Um, we see Kenobi choosing to restrain himself for the sake of the other Togrutans. Um, we see abused people. <laughs> As plans for escape and hopes of rescue fade, the gnawing fear that he will never be able to take action will grow in Kenobi's heart. To ease the burden of his fellow slaves, defiance will become compliance. When Kenobi realizes he cannot help those around him, his spirit will break, and he will be mine. If such Jedi as Skywalker and Kenobi can fall, how many others will follow? Hmm? <laughs> imagine, imagine an army of Jedi in your service. Zygeria will be invincible. Having gone through 14, 15 scripts. That's the longest, you know, monologue in all of Clone Wars so far. Like nobody has spoken that much. Probably. Oh, that's double. interesting. I mean, that's probably double what anyone has ever that that we've looked at. Um, and it's all strategy, and it's all about keeping someone enslaved. And the only reason I'm earmarking that is that is principle to the original trilogy. We don't realize it until Return of the Jedi that Vader's an enslaved man. But it's but Palpatine is able to do what this woman cannot do, and that's enslave Anakin Skywalker. Hmm. But here is is very much a strategy for that. Now, I don't think Anakin's enslaved by the same thing. He he doesn't have empathy. Palpatine isn't using empathy over Anakin anymore. Right. Well, also, I, I do also think, though, we've talked about this this character, her name is Mirage, and being interested in the perception of power in these things. And I also think that's what that is, too. I think I think she just wants to, like, if this is the last time she can get rid of this guy, then she can leave and kind of yeah. restart this thing. So I think it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present this master plan. I'm going to monologue about my, my awesome plan to do this thing, and then maybe he'll leave, and then maybe I can kind of get the leverage in there and, and do this other thing that I want to do. Yeah? At least how I took it. Dooku then says, A most ambitious plan, your highness. Only my goal is not the enslavement of the Jedi Order, but its extermination. It's a good line. It is a good line. I've come to supervise their execution. Perform it if necessary. Now, summon Skywalker. There is a move by powerful people sometimes 
to think they have more power over their henchmen than they actually have. A great example of this is The Dark Knight, where the gangsters think they can get the job done by empowering the Joker. And what they've mm. really done is giving is given leverage to a ridiculously competent, powerful person to destroy them. Yeah. You you invited a bear into the house. Yes. No so crazy as you look. I told you, I'm a man of my word. Where's the Italian? But the image of we have invited somebody strong that we we have such self-confidence we think we can control this person the thing about dooku here is he's like you can't i understand these people they need to be snuffed out immediately and that's how it is dooku's not playing around dooku comes in just he's thought he's thought four or five moves ahead and has four or five moves if those don't work correct there's only one path and it's your elimination you know doesn't matter how we get there that's what's going to happen and that i mean that is the sith way that's the autocrat way that's the genocidal way and we often see that in star star wars from this crew (laughs) yeah again no contemporary examples to be found but the queen thinks she can have it both ways and she she looks real unhappy and just as Anakin was told to go kill Obi-Wan in the last episode by the Queen, now the Queen is told to go kill Anakin by Dooku. I think that's tasty. That's a good little, that's oh, yeah. understated, but that's exactly what happened. These are core moral choices that needed to happen in the hearts of the lead characters in these two episodes. Yeah, it's real well done. There's going to be a big transition here in the tensions in the air. And this is a good place to just pause, and we're going to pick this up next time. So we'll pick up with this last episode of the arc. And man, I love the end. All of this. will be explained. <laughs> it's all good. We need to land the plane. True. So, friends, as with all podcasts, this is only going to survive if you share it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. The music is by all the people we list every single time who are amazing. And it's created by the fine folks at Lucasfilm. Those guys. And if you have gotten this far and you want to do us a huge favor, pause for two seconds and give us some stars on iTunes. This is one of the best things you can do. And in fact, if you love these, simply give us a review. We read these. They matter to us. And they matter to people who are looking for a good podcast to listen to. Honestly, you don't even need to pause. The app lets you do multiple things at once. Like it's it's very convenient. You just move on to that political trash that's next in your queue. No, I literally just mean you can continue listening to us talking and oh, then while just doing scroll it? down to the bottom and hit yeah, I do it all the time. Because we got jokes. We still got the, the best parts of our show are are the sign offs here. Agreed. I got quotes lined up. So you can be like moving the thing down to the reviews and then hear the joke and be like, God, that was a great (laughs) five stars. That mother shed is the man. (laughs) He's Daniel mother shed. Insert funny quote here. (laughs) I'm really good at this. Nothing worth losing your head over though. It's going to be my autobiography (laughs) title. Daniel mother shed insert, insert funny joke here. And I'm Jeff Cook. This is a far more reckless course of action than I've come to expect from you, Captain. And you know why, Daniel? 
<laughs> because the <laughs> I do know why, in fact, because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim.